This is Unfiltered, Episode 60, for July 24th, 2013. Top national security officials were on the hot seat yesterday over the NSA surveillance program at a House Judiciary hearing. Lawmakers showed their frustration while pressing for answers about the secrecy of the operation. Do you think a program of this magnitude, gathering information involving uh, uh, a large number of people involved with telephone companies and so on, could be indefinitely kept secret from the American people? Well, uh, we tried. On this week's episode of Unfiltered, the Obama administration has doubled their efforts to protect and defend the NSA's massive surveillance programs, launching a four-star campaign publicly and behind closed doors to derail the initiatives to neuter the NSA's spying apparatus. We'll share the details. The birthplace of America's middle class files for bankruptcy this week, but things are never as simple as they seem. Syria's getting complicated and we've got an update, then it's your feedback, our follow-up, and much, much more on this week's episode of Unfiltered. Pacific Northwest in the Jupiter Broadcasting Late-Breaking News Center. My name is Chase Nunes, and welcome to another edition of Unfilter, the show about the news that you really should not be watching. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Chris Fisher. Hey, Chris. Hey there, Mr. Chase. Guess what? I decided to celebrate episode 60. I'd have a child during this episode. Hey, you know that's a good idea? Hey, Angela. You doing okay? <laughs> yeah, I think she's, uh, she's doing all right. We just got to make sure that the contractions are only a... About a, once they get to about a minute apart, we should probably wrap the show. You know, I am um, pumped. Yeah. You know why I'm so pumped? Why, Chase, are you, you are you fired up? I am fired up. This is going to be a big show. I think so. And you know why it's going to be a big show? Because nobody's going to get up the nuts to Colin. <laughs> no, no. So obviously, the majority of you who are listening to the sound of my voice, yeah. is it's it, this is in this has already been in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you happen to be here right now, it's 6.46 p.m. on a beautiful Wednesday evening sure here in the Northwest. Yeah. Right now, we're taking calls. This is our feedback show, which means... We've opened the lines, Jason. We've opened the lines. We've opened the Skypes. We've opened... Up, now, we can't encrypt them, of course, because the government's already got the keys to that. Well, we're live streaming it anyways. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, but right now, as we do the show, I'm keeping an eye on the lines. So if anybody decides to call into the show... The Unfiltered Show Skype account, per se? Yes. Hmm. Or, or they could call us, 425-312-1756. They could just call us right now. They could call... And they would be on the show. Actually, right now, wow. at this moment. Wow. wow. Now it's 6.47 p.m. Pacific I, time. I propose to you that not only do we make anything we've covered open grounds for discussion, but anything right. we cover in this week's episode. People just want to call in and ch- uh, chime in, and maybe we get something wrong, maybe we got something right. Not only that, if, if you want clarification about oh. where you, where Chris comes from on something, or where I come from sure. on something, sure. this is your opportunity to chime in yeah. and do so. Yeah. 
All we ask that if you are listening to the live stream, that you turn that down. Before you call. Before you call. Yeah. We'll see if anybody calls. I doubt it. You don't think anybody will call? It only takes one or two people, and then everybody calls. But until that one or second, it's like you got to break the dam. you got to break the dam. Well. <clears throat> Big show. Uh, and I meant to talk to you about this uh, before the show, so I just want to make a quick mention of this, and then we'll move on. Okay. I don't want to spend more than 10 seconds. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the baby at all. We're not even going to talk about Wait, how much you, of distraction you, you, you already talked about the okay, baby. Okay, moving on. So this week, <laughs> one of the stories that uh, happened that I... I think is one of these that oftentimes we try to we try to document stories that sort of you know are are notes in history that looking back on the unfiltered catalog say in a few years ago oh yeah that was really interesting that right. week that happened one of them this week is uh, Detroit has filed or is filing for bankruptcy did you hear about this I, well sure I heard about this wow well yeah I mean it's the largest U S city to ever well, go bankrupt let, let me ask you this little little side trivia yeah did you know the largest city to file for bank- bankruptcy before Detroit no no that what, was the what, largest what? you didn't know no I don't think I even I don't even think it ever occurred to me to think about it it did make it did make news what was it it was Stockton California oh well. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Actually. And it was because of the the big uh, housing bubble yeah. bursting. Yep, yep, that's yeah. why. Yeah, California is. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, and this is why it's interesting to cover this story. Is it's, it's there's a lot of this could be the meta story for a lot of things that are going to come up over the next. So couple you're saying of years. this is not a distraction of the week? Well, I already know what the distraction of the week is. Well, it was the thing we're not going to talk about. Right? What, what what thing? Not not your baby. Oh no 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 not no my baby's not a distraction. That's really happening. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean the add other baby. I well, meant what that other, other baby. What other baby? Are you I don't want to talk about it. What baby are you talking about? Shut up! I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. What? I don't know what you're talking about. All right, so moving on. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Detroit. Now, no, I think yeah, the reason- I, caught, I caught you off. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the reason why Detroit's a big story is is because OCP is going to come in and buy them. Because <laughs> we're going to get yeah, we're going to get Robocop. We're getting Robocop. We're, we're totally going to get Robocop. Uh, you know what? Diane's here, and uh, I'm not oh. so sure she's sober, but she's going to sum up. Is she on the Prozac? What's going on with in Detroit, Diane? And we turn next to a big headline tonight out of America's iconic motor city, Detroit. Waving the white flag, the city filing for bankruptcy. They give so up! what does this mean for Detroit and for the country? ABC senior national correspondent Jim Avila has the latest. God, I want a title like that. Once America's Drunk. fourth largest city, Detroit, now a stunning $18 billion in debt, clinging to its reputation as the world's motor city. Producing Detroit iron sold by homegrown stars like Eminem. This is the Motor City. This is what we do. And Clint Eastwood embodying the don't give up spirit of Detroit with his iconic commercial reminding Americans watching the Super Bowl of the city's latest comeback. The world's going to hear the roar of our engines. Yeah, it's halftime America. And our second half's about to begin. Motown glory years of fast cars and soul music are long gone. Now the homicide rate is at its highest in 40 years. Dubbed Murder City with 78,000 abandoned buildings. 63% of its population gone. So empty the city of Paris could fit inside the vacant space. And today the Michigan governor announced the unavoidable bankruptcy. Detroit now hoping to start over. It's an opportunity for a fresh start. One of the ideas, downsizing. We could become the greenest city in the country because of the land that we have. But first, the bitter pill of being the largest American city to ever fold, stiffing creditors, cutting pensions, while hoping to offer its citizens some way out. Jim Avila, ABC News, Washington. Now, there's another story that's going on at the same time here with this Detroit stuff, which I think is really fascinating. Have you heard much about this emergency manager? 
Yeah, so whenever a, a major metro government goes right. under a bankruptcy, the state will often bring in, like if it's a city, the state will bring in like a manager. Right, they'll bring in somebody to obviously, yeah. as the name, you know, manage the, the bankruptcy or manage the finances as an independent party. That's not right. really partial to what's going on. Now, what's interesting about this particular one is the city council actually contested this particular uh, guy that they brought on. In fact, they tried to they tried to fight it. They, they eventually just sort of settled down and let it pass, but... Uh, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't very well liked in the in the beginning. And to kind of rewind, I want to kind of to put things in perspective because this has obviously been building for a very long time. I want to rewind the clock to just four months ago, right before they had hired their emergency manager. This report ran on CNN. Just two years ago, Forbes called Detroit the city of hope. Today, it tops the Forbes list of most miserable cities in America. Oh God! Will you call the police now. <laughs> You, you wonder if they're coming. It's a tale of two Detroits, a city on the hook for more than $14 billion in unfunded pensions and health care costs for retired government workers. Most of us are facing legacy costs that we can't afford. They were cut in the good old days when you could, you know, the tax revenues were up. Uh, we didn't have uh, overseas competition. We could sell all the cars we could make. That day is gone. And get this. The Detroit News found nearly half of Detroit homeowners didn't even pay their property taxes last year. There have been hundreds of millions in spending cuts and thousands of government layoffs in recent years. But it's not enough. Now it's in the hands of Michigan's governor. Any day he could install an emergency manager in Detroit with sweeping powers. He could void all of their contracts. He or she could fire everybody, quite frankly. That's what I love about this. So the interesting thing about this emergency manager is you get so your governor or whoever it is brings him in, right? And they're not an elected person. It's not. No. It's, it's not no, an elected this is an office. Appointed official yeah. from the state. And right. so you know they you never really know what what quite's going on uh, when when that happens. And so there was some initial reactions that were pretty strong to this, but it like you mentioned earlier, it's not that uncommon for an emergency manager to come in. A lot of a lot of decisions regarding what actions he would take were made behind closed doors. That's also not been. Um, particularly uh, well-received. Yeah. Uh, but the, a, a piece here says that flanked by protesters at the city skyline, the words reinventing Detroit, which were uh, up along the uh, different buildings, he says, uh, Kevin uh, Orr says that this is an emergency manager, that roughly 19, a $19 billion bankruptcy will provide the fiscal breathing room needed to repair the city's infrastructure and restore basic services. Wow, $19 billion just for the city. Now, of course, uh, that also means, and he's in the position to do this, in order to kind of shore up the the, uh, the debt here, there's going to have to be some cuts and say, like, oh, I don't know, pensions? We're going to have a dialogue with the pension funds about what we can do. Um, and there are two different funds, um, police and fire and general services, and they may have different levels of funding. And all we're talking about in this restructuring is the unfunded component of those pension funds. So I want to be clear. The pensioners, of dollars. it's a significant sum of money. Make no mistake about it. And there are going to be, have to be concessions. Concessions may be different for each fund. This is the emergency manager, Kevin Orr. And they're going to be focused on the unfunded portion, but they will have some component you, of their but pension. But you are saying that pensioners who work for the city for decades yeah. are not going to get the benefits they thought they were going to get. There are going to be some adjustments. They're probably going to need to be some adjustments. And what you, Detroit. Now, did you know that uh, New York had a bankruptcy in the 70s and the feds bailed them out? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, uh, now if there's been some talk of that, but nobody's really taken very seriously. That's not really going to happen this time around, doesn't sound like. Uh, and the Detroit leaders, quote-unquote, as they are, are defending the bankruptcy. By the statute. City leaders vigorously defended the filing Even today. We don't have a choice. 
Um, we've crossed the Rubicon on the level we have, we have 18 plus, 18 to 19 billion dollars in debt and no funding mechanism for it. So this is a question of necessity. The city has been called an urban disaster area. For Detroit citizens, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder says bankruptcy protection is the only way forward. They're not getting the services they deserve and they haven't for a very long time. So this can's been getting kicked down the road for decades. The move has infuriated some of the city's 9,700 public employees and 20,000 retirees, worried they're getting cheated out of their pension and retirement savings. Emergency manager Kevin Orr says they'll probably feel the sting. There are going to be some adjustments. There are probably going to need to be some adjustments. One major question. After the success of the federal auto industry bailout in 2008, will Detroit ask Washington for help again? City Mayor Dave Bing says not yet. I think it's, it's very difficult right now to ask directly for uh, support. I think we've got to take a step back and see what's next. The city has requested a hearing in the case for this Tuesday. As for full recovery, that could take years if it happens at all. In order for Detroit to move forward with bankruptcy protection, city leaders first have to prove that bankruptcy is a last resort. If approved by a federal judge, a plan for reorganization will be put in place and voted on by the city's creditors. Jeff? Terrell Brown, thank you. So I suspect that uh, they've been going this direction for a long time. Well, Even since this Kevin Orr came on board, I bet so, they're going this direction. So, Chris, I mean, I know we're armchair quarterbacking here, of course, yeah, like what we always do. But, I mean, what do you think? Uh, do you? I mean, how do you feel about Detroit fa- falling and failing? Is this... Is this because of their, you know, big pensions? Is this because of unions? Is this just because of a failed industry uh, going, you know, kaput? I mean, what is it? Yeah, tr- boy, it's funny, right? Because Detroit, sort of the heart of manufacturing. I mean, you think back to the World War II era, and Detroit was part of the industrial engine yeah. of the United States. Um, and uh, as a result, they're one of the most unioned up states out there. And Detroit's one of the most unioned up uh, cities and work areas. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I I don't know how I feel about it. It's funny. I've seen some takes. You know, some people consider the pensioners um, selfish because they want the city to suffer in order to pay their pensions. And other people take the approach of, well, I've I worked hard. I gave 30, 35 years of my life to a company who told me that if I devoted myself like this, I'd have this at the end of the tunnel for me. And I expect what I was promised for those 35 years. So I, I understand it from both angles. And the problem is, is, I don't know what the right answer is. And I think this is just the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those situations when you you compare public and city government if the, with the private sector, and a lot of major companies moved away from offering pensions uh, to four hundred one k plans and making the responsibility of that person to invest in their own retirement benefit, and so you have all these government workers who are part of that old school system. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? And if you have a city that obviously cannot afford because, A, they're not getting the tax revenues, mm-hmm. they're not only from the citizens but from the businesses within that city, it's, it's a simple issue of math here. If you, don't have the, if you don't have the numbers to add up, you can't pay. How is this not going to be a problem everywhere, though? I mean, unemployment, despite what the numbers say, is extremely high. Uh, you have um, more and more companies that are getting around tax and going through tax loopholes all the time. Is this, what are we going to do? I mean, on a, on a macro scale. Well, I and mean, what, what's going to happen the, in Detroit? The, we don't know. It, what it feels like to me is the answer has always been, well, we can just pass these costs on to the citizens. If it means higher gas taxes, it means higher maintenance fees for right, roads, right. higher yep. uh, registration fees, right. licenses, whatever. Yep. But what happens is you get to that breaking point where that citizen 
cannot pay for it because either they lost their job because of a connected industry, either with the auto or manufacturing base, yeah, and it all falls apart. And so maybe, maybe this bankruptcy, which I, I – sorry about that, Chris. I think I kicked something on your desk. It was a can uh, of nuts, Chase. Uh, I'm sorry for kicking you in the nuts. Uh, <laughs> those nuts. No, it's, it's one of the situations where maybe – Maybe, Maybe uh-huh. this is a way to have Detroit reset and show possibly a way of doing it in the 21st century. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, I was just reading an article the other day about GM where the government – I don't think we have a story in the here about this. But I was reading today that GM would need to get to $95 a share for the American people to get their money back on the GM bailout. Hmm. Right now, I believe that stock today is trading at $36 a share. So we're going to end up losing, I think, 10 to $12 billion on the GM bailout. So, And that comes out of our pockets. That, cut, that adds on to our, our, our nation's debt. And so when the officials in Detroit are saying, well, maybe you know, we haven't thought about talking to the government yet about bailing out, are they? Because I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it can. Yeah, I don't think it can happen. And I think this is sort of going to be the. Here's the problem: is because Detroit won't be the last. Anything they do here at a federal level sort of sets a precedent, and so they really kind of have to move carefully because I don't think they can afford to set that precedent. I don't. I don't think they have that option. Um, they might be able to do it for Detroit, but you know, beyond that, I don't think it'd be viable. And of course, it would just start happening. And of course, if people realize that maybe the feds were giving out handouts, you got to wonder how many more. All of a sudden, oh, I'm bankrupt. Me too. Over here, we're bankrupt. Oh yeah, it just happened. Uh, you guys got some money. I mean, that would that would happen immediately. Well, I mean, when if someone, you know, if you and I went bankrupt, you know, they dissolve the creditors, you get a fresh, clean slate, but you can't get credit for like seven to ten years, right? I don't know what happens when a city goes bankrupt. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know, and obviously it helps them maybe reset the those pension contracts. And I can understand a pen, you know a union person, you know, like, hey, I put thirty years in the state or in the city government. I thought one of the reasons we bailed out the car companies was to prevent this from happening. Well, they're they're making a profit, but they're not making as big a remember profit. Remember how remember they're how being they more were efficient with the money that they they were given. Remember how the car companies were responsible for employing millions of people, and uh, like it was described that if we didn't bail out the car companies, literally Detroit would go bankrupt. And yet here we are, uh, we bailed out the car companies, and Detroit's going bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you got GM, and then you also have uh, Chrysler, which is mm-hmm. more foreign owned now than anything. And they have learned that they've had to do more with less, as a, as a major company has had to do. Many, many major companies have had to do. Or do more with tax dollars. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? You know, the government, yeah. the government, you know, we see this. It's not just Detroit. We see this in our local cities and, and local governments all across the world. Where hmm. they feel all they have to do is just raise taxes or take money from banks, as we saw in um, uh, what was that country? God, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, are you talking about um, are you talking about in Cyprus? Yeah, in Cyprus, where you know, like, oh, well, you know, we'll just take it. We'll just we'll just do it. We'll pass yeah, it along. Automatically deduct it. We'll just pass it along. So here's where here's I guess where things seem a little fishy to me is you got this Kevin Orr guy who comes in. He's he's a hair cutter. He's He's, well, he looks like the guy from RoboCop, by yeah, the way. he seriously just, does. He yep. seriously does. It's pretty wild. And so he starts, you know, cutting, killing and uh, killing contracts, uh, uh, cutting funds back, uh, laying people off. 
while un- what appears to me to be under the presumption of attempting to turn the situation around. He has he holds a press conference when he got the job, talks about how it's a monstrous task to turn things around. They don't even want to mention the B word bankruptcy. They're not even going to talk about it at this point because it's all about turning the the turning the city around. And I think they actually were using that time to line up everything for this bankruptcy. I think this bankruptcy has been in the works for a while. I think that's oh, yeah, why Kevin yeah, came on you, board. Yeah, you just don't yeah. just bring this all up all of a sudden. Uh, it's weird though. It just feels shady. It feels like uh, I w- I don't know. I wish the I wish the person who was in there making these cuts and making these making these changes was uh, elected by the people. Well, here's the, here's the worst thing about it. Right? They're talking about how we need to make cuts and how we need to do this and how we need to do that. But they're not going to feel they're not going to feel the burn. They're not going to feel those cuts, those officials. Mm-hmm. They're still going to get their paychecks, right. I bet you. Right. They're still going to get their health benefits. Yeah, he's benefits. making 250k a year right Yeah, now. they're still getting paid. The yeah. people that are going to hurt and suffer the most from right. this right. is Joe Q Public. Yeah. It's the person who calls 911 and waits 15, 20 minutes for a, for a police officer. Yeah. yeah. And by by yeah, that police officer is, you know, happy to protect and serve, but he's on the danger of probably losing his retirement benefits. Right. Yeah. So it's a vicious yeah, how cycle. How motivated does that make him? Yeah. Uh, Detroit is Michigan's sixth city currently under the supervision of an outside manager who has the power to alter labor contracts, sell off city assets, and slash spending without the normal checks and balances that elected officials have to go through. So you take what you're saying there with that kind of maybe this is maybe you need somebody who can cut through literally cut through bureaucracy to to fix the problem. But it. One thing you got to be real. But think about it like think about it like it happened careful. to Seattle. What if it happened to Seattle? Ugh. And like, what if Seattle had this? What if the governor comes in and says, "All right, uh, this guy is going to actually run Seattle now, and not the guy that you elected to be mayor, and he's going to make these decisions." I think we'd be pretty upset. <laughs> I would be upset too, but I also would look at and see. All right, what are they doing to prevent a city from going into bankruptcy? Right. And yeah, oh yeah, it, it always feels a little weird to me. That when you have, like, take the Seattle city government, for example, and you have a mayor who's more concerned about trying to reduce gun violence by melting out, melting down guns into peace bricks. Or adding more bike lanes. Or adding more bike lanes. No offense it, to bikers. and Or, or uh, I don't know if you heard recently, but there is a development uh, in West Seattle where the, 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 the mayor has publicly come out against Whole Foods Market and said, hey, we do not want you putting Whole Foods Market there because we uh, we believe that you do not provide living wage jobs. So the city is fighting the per- – or the, uh, the mayor is fighting the, the permit process, right? Meanwhile, the city needs jobs. They need private sector jobs. But he came out and said he didn't want to uh, support this project. Hmm. And then the very next day, he gets an endorsement from the grocery unions. By the way, Whole Foods Market is a non-union shop. Funny how that happened. Now – when I look at what's going on in Detroit, I'm thinking, okay, what's the first things that you're doing? And it, the first things that you're doing are talking about pensions and how yeah. we need to restructure. Yeah. It really wonders what their true motivations are. I guess that is sort of what's setting off – you're right. That's what's setting off my, my kind of alarm bells is that's sort of out of the gate. We're talking about – now, maybe that's because that's the biggest debt hoving. That's the biggest is debt it? Hanging, yeah, is, it? is it? I think the, so. I think well, so, but I mean, I'm not sure. A city doesn't get $18 billion in debt. Billion. That's a with 18 with a lot of zeros. 19, actually. $19 billion yeah. in debt. A city yeah. doesn't get there on pensions. Right. right. I think they get there – on overspending, yeah. uh, you know, you yep. and I would never get to that point. We couldn't get to that point. That'd be <laughs> if I could get to nineteen. That'd be the that have to that'd be so much fun. That'd yeah. have to be a lot of fun. Uh, all right. Well, we definitely want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. So let us know unfilter at Jupiter Broadcast. Or if you're listening right now, 
You could call. You could. But you're a wuss. Oh, ouch. Ouch. Hey, I'm sorry. I got to throw that out there. Hey, you know what, man? You just say it how you, how you feel, right? They're you, wuss. Now, we have uh, we got some NSA stuff we got to jump into, and then we've got some Obama stuff we've got to talk about, some Snowden stuff, and then serious stuff. But first, I want to take just a brief moment and thank our supporters. Unfilter is a audience-supported show. What? I, it's true. Wait, you, wait, you know wait, we, we, we don't, have get, an, we don't no. get bailouts from the government. We don't get we don't get bailouts. We don't have advertisers. <laughs> we don't have special deals where we where we unbox something and review it and actually get paid for it and then post it up on YouTube in our super cool channel. And be like, hey everybody, hey internet, I have this product that I this just randomly is so unboxed. Cool. Do you see those all the time on YouTube now? It's ridiculous. No, Unfilter is supported by you guys, and as a supporter, when you sign up. You also get the supporter show, which is the pre and post Ooh. show, and it's an you get extra show, you get more show, you get probably double the show. You get sometimes. Uber show, Uber show, you get Uber show plus the Uber newsletter show. The newsletter comes out after every single episode of the Unfilter show. Now this week, Chase, we have 141 Unfilter supporters. What one four one? You know what kind of number that is, right? No, tell I me. forget the, the the word is, but the, the a palindrome, a palindrome, yes, the one forty one. So I want to thank I want to thank Tina J, Tina J, Ivan, Ivan, Jonathan H. Jonathan T H. I know. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to put the T in there though. No, no, no. But I did. All right. Ken. Ken. David J. David J. And 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 Jonathan H again. Wow, another one. Yep. We had a couple recently. So uh thanks to you guys for signing up to the uh to become unfiltered supporters. Now the unfiltered show <laughs> is only responsible to you guys. And the other thing that you enable us to do is not play that numbers game. As long as we re- we're trying to reach a hun- uh, 333 three hundred and thirty three monthly. $5 supporters. That way we can afford one day of production of the Unfilter show. Just one. And, you know, Chase, I what, think about this quite often. And one of the things that, other than not having to play that numbers game, which is truly, truly fantastic, it's also nice to not have to worry about, like, is this going to upset a sponsor? Is this not going to upset a sponsor? Are people going to think we're hawking something, so therefore we have you know ulterior well, motives? We don't have to worry about any of that. And even even if that would never be something that would cross the audience's mind, I never have to stress about it. I well, never have to thing. worry about and it. And not only that, we don't have to worry about filtering ourselves. Boom. Boom. Hey, you know what that gets? What? You ready for this? Yeah, go ahead. It, you don't have to worry about filtering yourself. Right. To appease as a sponsor. Now we understand, or make, or make content that gets the most amount of numbers, so that way you get the largest sponsor sell. And you know the other thing, I just feel like I feel like it's it's sort of the way news should be. Yeah. It's sort of it's sort of, it seems like if you're doing news, then you should do it should be listener supported. And if it can't be listener supported, then you're doing something more than news. You're trying to do entertainment. And I'll be the first person to tell you this. You know, I'm not here to appease any one of our listeners. Mm. I'm here just to say it how I feel as you that it is. It. Yeah. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And you know what? I'll be the first one to admit that. It, yeah, And that's one thing I love about this show is we get some awesome feedback. Yeah, we got some good feedback this and week, too. And people will write in. They'll also call in and leave a voicemail yeah. and say, hey, have you thought about this particular perspective? Or they ask us right. for clarification. Right, right. You know what? That's, like that. that's the beauty of this that you can never do with a sponsor. You now, couldn't. I uh, I just wanted to mention too that uh, uh, I'm a little worried that this week we might turn out a little low because nothing earth shattering has broken this week and I want to tell you the weeks when there is a lot of distraction in the air maybe it's some baby boy being born maybe, what are you talking about maybe Chris? It's some legal case going on well in the you're courts. having a baby boy aren't you I, no girl no uh, girl and um you didn't hear it is it's the twins the job is so this job is so much harder. When that happens, because it takes so much more digging, it takes so much more sifting through the junk, it takes so much more work. Literally, when when I saw the direction the news winds were blowing after last unfiltered, every single night since we went off the air last week, I have been working on today's episode 
digging and digging for content to try to get past all of the bullcrap and actually focus on real news. So even, There's a lot of bullcrap And unfortunately, happening. the way psychology works is when nothing really amazing is happening, nothing big is happening, people don't really contribute as often because they like there's not – it's sort of like this weird disconnect where when really bad things happen and we're covering it, people contribute. And when things kind of aren't going horribly, horribly bad, it sort of slows down. And I just wanted to mention that it, at least in terms of production, it's, it's completely the reverse in a lot of cases where this week's episode is – and last week's episode were very, very difficult and took a lot of time. So you can help us cover that at least one day of production by becoming an Unfiltered supporter, clicking that $5 in the show notes. You get uh, the Unfiltered supporter show as well every single week. So Nice. All right, Chase. Well, do you have any guesses as what might be coming up next? I know. It's time to play Ask the Jabber. We're going to ask a question. And I think if you know the answer, we're going to go ahead and blast your name all over the Internet. Chris, okay. what is today's question before you pull the trigger? No, not that one. This one. What's the question, Chris? Chase. Yes. Which three-letter agency has been defending their reputation this week? Which three-letter agency Ooh. using their... Ties with the Obama administration has been going into closed door rooms and discussing with lawmakers the importance of their domestic programs. Oh, man, this is a tough question, Chris, because, you know, typically it's a simple answer. But this week, I think it's a little more tough. (laughs) What do you think it is, Chase? (laughs) uh, But, Chris, we may have some answers in the chat room. Go ahead. Are you ready for me to pull it, Chase? You ready for me to pull it? You ready, Chase? Okay, here we go, Chase. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Joel is saying, is it NSA? What? Is it the NSA? How could he have possibly? I mean, I, all right. Well, guess what? The first one oh, right nice out of the job, gate. Joel. The winner. There you go, Joel. You get three bells for being the first winner. Yeah, it's like a triple jackpot. Triple jackpot. Quadruple jackpot. Thanks, Joel. Nice job. Well, it is. It is the NSA. Uh, the National Security Agency program has been uh, under, under scrutiny on uh, Capitol Hill this week. High stakes showdown because a vote is, a vote, a vote is looming in the House. Uh, and everybody has taken uh, to the uh, usual channels, including our good buddy Jay Carney. He issued uh, a nighttime statement on the eve of today's vote, Wednesday, uh, which is not normal. Jay Carney actually woke up in the middle of the night to release this statement, and he says that uh, canceling this program would bring great harm, and he says that they uh. recommend that they should not hastily dismantle one of their intelligence communities counterterrorism tools. So uh, a lot of rhetoric coming out of the Obama administration. Sure. They also sent out uh, General Keith Alexander, the head of the NSA. He made a last-minute trip to Capitol Hill on Tuesday to urge lawmakers to reject the measure that was yesterday. In a separate closed-door session with Republicans and Democrats, he met with seven Republicans uh, and the uh, committee chairman that issued a similar plea for the Intelligence Committee to their colleagues. So a, uh. lot, of, uh, a lot of the folks involved in this whole process. Uh, and so I just want to bring us up to date on a little bit of that. But first, let's go to Nancy Cordes on Capitol Hill. Nancy, good morning. Good morning, Nora. Well, the fact that this amendment might actually pass today is a sign of just how much unease there is on Capitol Hill with the scope of these programs. This vote is really the first effort to limit the power of the NSA since all those details were leaked, and the NSA is working furiously to defeat it. Every time we talk, it helps. NSA Director Keith Alexander made an emergency visit to Capitol Hill Tuesday, urging House members to vote no on this one-page amendment that limits the collection of telephone numbers and the duration of calls. The amendment, introduced by Michigan Republican Justin Amash, would prevent the NSA's blanket collection of phone data. Instead, the agency would only be allowed to gather data on specific individuals under investigation. All right, so I want to make it clear, this, this, this legislation they're campaigning against, that they're pulling out all the stops for, 
is just legislation that doesn't end the surveillance program. It simply adjusts the surveillance <laughs> program so that it's not so blankety. You have to be somebody who's under suspicion in order to be surveilled. And that is what they're all up in arms against. Of both parties have argued for more oversight. I think that very clearly this program has gone off the tracks legally and needs to be reined in. The public and most of Congress learned about the classified program last month after it was leaked by NSA contractor Edward Snowden. But Intelligence Committee members like Democrat Dutch Ruppersberger had been briefed on it for years. He says the so-called metadata program is vital to pinpointing terrorist communications. You know, what we're doing in the metadata program is finding a needle in a haystack. And you need the haystack in order to find the needle. Now, he says that he's open to discussions about ways to make sure that these programs secure Americans' constitutional rights. The White House says it is, too, but it released a statement last night, Nora, saying that it opposes this amendment and that it would hastily dismantle the nation's intelligence community's counterterrorism tools. Oh, my goodness. I, Chris, Chris, you don't understand. You see, I really, 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 really love chocolate. Okay. And if you... Just if you wanted to cut down my intake on chocolate, I don't think I could survive without it. it I understand. I am so addicted to this. Wow. That you can't pull it away from really? me. Yes. Wow. That sounds like you maybe should. The, get government, some... the, the government's selling like a pigeon child oh, here. They are data addicts. You're totally right. Yeah, they're big data addicts. They no, are... I want to keep it. I want it. They're hooked on their own. They're hooked on their own data feeds. Um, and it's. It's one of these. It's one of these situations where uh, a, a lot's been happening in the last couple of weeks that we haven't gotten a, a good picture of. Like, for example, um, they just renewed the uh, phone metadata collection program, so that was just renewed last week. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then this week, uh, the NDAA is on the floor to uh, being debated, along with a lot of other funding is all on there. That's why a lot of this is happening uh, today and yesterday is because a lot of funding stuff. Not talking about that though, are we? No. No. Nope. No. I mean, we are, but nobody else is. Uh, and because it's just going to pass again, there's going to be a little arguing here and there, and the votes are not going to quite get there, and everything's going to stay status quo. It was funny because a Texas member of Congress told the newspaper that uh, the Houston Chronicle uh, that uh, all of this talk has "quote unquote" spooked the Obama administration, which <laughs> I thought was interesting. Yeah, but nothing's going to change. And they've also I'm sorry for being pessimistic. Congress has been offered talking points on behalf of the continued NSA surveillance program by the Obama administration, <sighs> so that way they can then relay those talking points onto their constituents during town hall meetings. Oh yeah, no, 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 because it's to make you feel more comfortable. So we're going right. to give you the script. Here's slave. the here's the language you should be using, so that way we're all using the same messaging. That's how I. That's kind of how I process that too. It's like yeah, we want to all be on the same page. Yeah, so we want we want you to be able to convince your constituents that uh, yeah, this is okay. Yeah, uh, you need to uh, know these talking points. Right. Hey, Chris, you have no reason to be afraid. You have nothing because Chris, are you doing anything uh, wrong? No. So you have nothing to hide. I I do think it's not, it's not even so much that it's like so one of the things one of the one of the. Uh, one of the key aspects of this whole scandal has been the entire time all of the language that's been used. Who's considered a citizen? When we say we're not collecting American citizens' data, what we actually mean is anyone that we have a 49% uh, uh, um, 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 score of not being American, we collect them. So if whoever you are, if just for whatever reason 
for whatever reason, 49% is, was what, it's just some random number they've picked out that, that all of the signals they monitor, that if none of those signals say you're an American, then they can wholesale collect what you're doing. And if you're outside the United States, then game on because they can collect everything they want. And we're not having any issue with that, apparently. Apparently, that's going to keep on keeping. But, but Chris, if, if this, you know, that has been unveiled to the American public and everybody, now clearly knows what the NSA is doing. I don't think they do because of the language they've been using. They've been able to dance around they've all been these legalese make it real, well, and not, sound make it less invasive than it is, and they're yeah. confusing people. And they're using they're using terms like reasonable suspicion, which we all kind of like have assumptions as to what that means, but they have a completely different interpretation of it. That they they are taking they are taking words that have been defined, and then in private session, they are their lawyers are defining those words to mean other things, and then they are acting based on those private secret definitions. And then so when we say things like uh, citizen or suspect or suspect or whatever, they don't mean the same thing to the NSA as they mean to you and I. And they're not playing by the same games. And it's 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 just going to nothing's going to change in that regard. But what's ironic is when we go to the NSA and do a little freedom of information request and say, hey, we want your emails. We want to know what you said to the National Geographic because they just made a hell of a really positive piece about you. And we think maybe you guys were collaborating. NSA comes back and says, uh, we can't actually search our own emails. And now on to a story that could have been ripped straight from the headlines of The Onion. The NSA, which has the power to read all of our emails, is apparently unable to read its own emails. ProPublica filed a Freedom of Information Act request looking into the agency's PR efforts after a very friendly documentary about the NSA aired on the National Geographic Channel. Basically, ProPublica was asking for records of email exchanges between the NSA and the National Geographic Channel. But the NSA Freedom of Information Act officer Cindy Blacker responded to the request saying, quote, there's no central method to search an email at this time with the way our records are set up, unfortunately. She acknowledged it's, quote, a little antiquated and archaic. How do I get my email into that system? You know, the one the NSA can't search? Because I'd like to have that be my email no, provider. No, 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 Chris, you know what I call? I call this bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. Because they you have the you? ability. They're just going to... This is a cover story. I know this is conspiracy. Oh, yeah, I don't no, give I think, a shit. But this is bullshit. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, they have the ability. It gets better. But the NSA could have bigger problems on its hands. Namely, what's happening in Congress today as we near a key vote in the House to defund part of the NSA's surveillance programs targeting American citizens. That amendment would defund the NSA's ongoing use of the Patriot Act, Section 215, to conduct blanket surveillance on Americans. Now, ahead of the vote, the White House is aggressively pushing back against the amendment. Last night, the NSA's chief, Keith, NSA's chief, Keith Alexander, met with members on the Hill to urge a no vote. And the White House released this statement saying, quote, we oppose the current effort in the House to hastily dismantle one of our intelligence community's counterterrorism tools. This blunt approach is not the product of an informed, open or deliberative process. We urge the House to reject the Amash Amendment. Despite the pressures, this vote will mark the very first time members of Congress will have a chance to go on record either supporting or rejecting the NSA's mass dragnet on American citizens. 
That was one point I wanted to point out is that even if this vote really does nothing, we'll at least get on record who's for it, who again it. Yeah, so when the NSA was asked, they said there's no central method to search email at this time the way our records are set up, unfortunately. Oh, God. This was the NSA's Freedom of Information uh, Act officer, Cindy Blacker. And uh, she said, yeah, it's a little antiquated. Um, the uh, a Freedom of Information request was fil- filed last week for emails between the NSA employees and the National Geographic, which just is outstanding all on its own right there. A few days after filing the request, Blacker called asking me to narrow down the request since the file office can search emails only person by person rather than in bulk. The NSA has more than 30,000 employees. So it's potentially how the Freedom of Information Office is able to search the NSA's emails, but I'm not quite clear on it. Uh, it's, it, it's I mean, Chris, you, you've worked in you, – you and I both have worked in technology mm-hmm, for most mm-hmm, of our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you believe this at all? Mm-mm. I mean, isn't there specific rules that government agencies and private companies have to have an ability mm-hmm. for them to have searchable email? It, it, I, don't know what, I, don't know what, I don't know about the NSA. Maybe not. Maybe there's rules that they can't. Maybe they've set it up intentionally. I would, I would almost assume they've set it up intentionally not to be searched so that way they can't be as compromised. Uh, now, uh, speaking of Keith Alexander, he was at the uh, Aspen Institute, and he was defending the secrecy around the NSA program. Oh, yeah. You have said that the disclosure of these programs is damaging. But explain something to us. I mean, we, we know that Osama bin Laden was so worried about having his communications intercepted that he used couriers. So surely the bad guys know that we have the capacity to listen in on their phone calls and read their emails. How can the disclosure, therefore, of these programs be so damaging? Well, it's our tactics, techniques, and procedures for going after them. And what we're doing is every time we talk about this, we take what I think are the most important tools that we have in our first line of defense for defending this country. And what we're doing is we're telling them, here's our playbook, here's how we're stopping you. Perhaps if you tried a different method, you'd be successful. And that's just been crazy. What we're doing is irresponsible in this area. And I think it's significant and irreversible damage to our nation. And we've got to be clear on that. The purpose of these programs and the reason we use secrecy is not to hide it from the American people, not to hide it from you, but to hide it from those who walk among you who are trying to kill you. There you go. So remember, they're just trying to keep us safe by monitoring everybody who's innocent. They're just trying to keep you safe. That's from Alexander himself, the most powerful man in the world. Uh, when uh, when your wife uh, goes through labor and contractions, like she's and, doing right and, now, and, and things and morning sickness and that sort of stuff, does she throw up occasionally? A little vomit here and there. Um, not usually, but she has in the past. Uh, I'm feeling that right about now. <laughs> I know when I listen to Keith Alexander, it's funny how a man I am feeling that, that right is about like now. so evil. Uh, seems he sounds so nice. He sounds so nice. Uh, and you know they're making some adjustments under his under his advisements, uh-huh. uh, post note and to sort of prevent future leakers. National Security Agency has new rules to protect its secrets. The rules are aimed at computer analysts like Edward Snowden. The NSA leaker says he took classified documents while working for the agency. From there on, the NSA will require analysts to work in pairs so no one can access secret information without being seen. So maybe Snowden's one of the last big whistleblowers. You know why I don't think it makes me all that sick is because it just seems so obvious that this would have happened. It, 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 any, you know, one of the things that I've gleaned after I've sort of gone back and retaught history to myself from what I did not learn from school yeah. is the moment the United States 
has the capability of doing something technologically, they do it. And if that's building an atom bomb or if that's building a rocket that can break orbit or if that is an NSA surveillance program, if that's you know building submarines to wiretap cables under the ocean, whatever it is, the moment in history that the United States has had the ability to do it, they have done it. And yeah. so I have always known, as somebody who's done wiretapping of network cables myself, as somebody who's done a lot of security penetration, I've always known they would have this capability. And the only thing I figured is we just had a... Honestly, I just figured we had a little more time. I've always known this is going to happen. I've always expected this to happen. I just thought we had another five, ten years. I did not. I, I perceived them to be more technically retarded than they actually are. <laughs> I, I did. I thought they were, you know, because outwardly, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the way. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to perceive that well, they're retarded. I mean, part because a huge crust of the government is they're Ted Stevens. They're, it's a series of tubes. But then internally, there's really smart, really motivated people who've always been on the cutting edge of the darkest nastiest technology that's out there and that's why it doesn't surprise me that's so sp- speaking of whistleblowers speaking of whistleblowers where, where is what's where going in the on? world is mr snowden where in the world is edward snowden this uh, clip will kind of bridge us from the nsa to snowden he very clearly violated the law uh, in uh, disclosing classified information uh, and he as a citizen charged in this country, will be afforded all of the many rights uh, given to defendants in our country, uh, in our system of justice, uh, when he returns. When he returns. That was White House Press Secretary Jay Carney showing some frustration over Edward Snowden, now on the run for more than 65 days, 31 of them spent in a Moscow airport. His status is still unclear, which is certainly creating more tension between the United States and Russia. And it's been a rough road over the last year. Take a look at this. You have Russia cracking down on human rights organizations and NGOs, not to mention kicking out an alleged U.S. spy, calling it a return to the the Cold War for the countries. Russia's also undermining our efforts in Syria, supporting the Assad regime that America wants to remove. And now we're getting reports today that Russia will be engaging with Iran on its nuclear program, and maybe Putin is on his way to Tehran in the next few weeks. So you see what happened there? You see how we just went from Snowden to Syria and Iran? It just jumped to something it, else. It's, it's, it's like this crazy ass, because all of these superpowers are getting intertwined, but the thing that's staying on Snowden before we move into Syria, uh, Snowden uh, has announced via his lawyer, that he plans to settle and find Rourke well, one month in Russia. Since the NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden landed here in Moscow on what's turned out to be a very long layover. He's filed a request for temporary asylum in Russia, but there's been no official response on that just yet. Snowden's lawyer says he's ready to remain here and even find a job. Let's get more on this now from RT's Working at Lindsay the Force. Lindsay, so what is the latest in the Snowden saga? Well, Bill, the Federal Migration Service is slated to hand over a piece of paper tomorrow uh, to Edward Snowden, stating whether or not it is willing to review his case. Uh, That means that that, uh, the government is then going to consider his bid. Now, that uh, process can take up to three months. And in that time, he will be allowed to walk around this city uh, moving freely and uh, within Russia. now then, the temporary asylum, if it is accepted, it can last, uh, will last one year and then must be renewed every year after that. Now, his lawyer has uh, made a statement about Mr. Snowden wanting to make Russia his home. Let's listen to what he's got to say. 
If the Russian Federal Migration Service denies Mr. Snowden's request, we still have the option of appealing against this decision in court. I explained all the legal aspects to Edward, and he intends to use this right of appeal should there be a refusal. Mr. Snowden's planning to settle down here, find a job, and just adapt to the circumstances. Now, not only, uh, as the lawyer said, does he plan to settle, but he also plans to work here and possibly call Russia home, uh, even in the very long future. It's something that uh, many people may think uh, comes as quite a surprise. We will probably be knowing much more tomorrow morning uh, when he hopefully receives that piece of paperwork that the Federal Migration Service uh, says it plans to hand over to him. Uh, now, his lawyer also says that uh, for, for his client at this point, security is number one. We'll bring, be bringing you much more on this tomorrow. Lindsay, thanks very much indeed for Thank that you, update Lindsay. on the snow. I wonder what they mean by security. I wonder if they worry about him getting. Oh sure, yeah. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you? If Probably, you... yeah. <laughs> so you think this? Do you think him talking about uh, settling down and finding work in Russia? Does this smell like he's just saying that so that way he gets think, qualified for the uh, I asylum? Think, I think yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to play the game, right? Maybe. Or, so... or is he just like, hey man, I'm not gonna be able to fly. I might as well just hang here. Well, yeah, but you know what? He's 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 a guy. You know, maybe he likes some of the Russian women. Dude, dude, dude. I'm just telling you. I've been looking at some of the photos of him in the airport, and I wasn't going to say anything on the show, but it's what they what they say is true. Like that airport was stacked full of babes. <laughs> it really was. I wouldn't leave the airport no. either. Oh, I I am stuck in an airport. I cannot go. I am stuck. I wasn't going to say anything, but I I, it's I, true. I, noticed, I noticed it looking at the photos. It's so true. Yeah, it really was. Uh, so, you know, uh, it could take up to three months before they approve that asylum. But this, I think, is part of part of that process. Him saying, yeah, you know, I want to stay here. Uh, it, it's incredible. Now, Russia and the U.S. today, or not today, I think it was yesterday, simultaneously announced that they will be arming the various sides of the Syrian conflict of the Assad regime and the rebels. The U.S. announced they'd be arming the rebels. Russia announced they'd be rearming the Assad regime. And they, they like... We coordinated the press releasements for this wonderful news, which is oh, weird. Oh, how um, interesting. However, uh, not everyone is on board with sending more guns to the bad guys. Britain's prime minister seems to be having a change of heart regarding weapons supplies to Syrian opposition. In a BBC interview, David Cameron says he's still committed to helping rebel groups fighting government forces, but that the groups include, in his words, quote, a lot of bad guys. Yeah. Yeah, they include a lot of bad guys, and we're going to get into some of that. But also, uh, coming just out of uh, out of uh, our own U.S. military, uh, General Dempsey uh, says that there's a few options we have in Syria right now if the U.S. is going to get involved. Chase, tell me which one of these options you like the best. As the U.S. begins to wind down the war in Afghanistan, some members of Congress are advocating direct action to stop the bloodbath in Syria. More than 100,000 people, mostly civilians, are believed to have been killed in that civil war. In a letter to the Senate Armed Services Committee, America's top military officer has outlined several possible plans for U.S. intervention. David Martin reports that each of them comes with a heavy price. Okay, here we go. All right. Joint Chiefs Chairman General Martin Dempsey listed five options the U.S. Wow. military is prepared to carry out okay. if the president gave the order. Five options. Train, advise, and assist opposition forces in safe areas outside of Syria. Okay. That would require several hundred to several thousand American troops and cost $500 million a year. What? It would strengthen the opposition, but also might help extremist factions linked to al-Qaeda. Conduct limited air and missile strikes against Syrian forces and command centers. 
Hundreds of aircraft and ships operating in the Mediterranean would attack hundreds of targets inside Syria. That would cost billions of dollars and inflict significant damage on Syrian forces, but could not guarantee the regime's collapse and would probably cause civilian casualties. Probably. Establish a no-fly zone over all of Syria. That too now, this has been the plan that McCain and group has been big on. Two would require hundreds of aircraft and cost up to a billion dollars a month and might not accomplish much since the Syrian army relies mostly on ground-based artillery and missiles, not air power. Establish buffer zones inside Syria as safe havens for opposition fighters and civilians. That would require smaller no-fly zones, but also thousands of U.S. troops to defend the safe havens. Estimated cost? More than $1 billion a month. A month. Destroy or seize Syria's chemical weapons. A massive operation that would require a no-fly zone plus airstrikes plus thousands of American troops. Again, the estimated cost would be well over $1 billion a month. Dempsey warned that intervention would end up costing so much the U.S. military might not be able to respond to crises in other parts of the world or it might trigger a sudden collapse of the Syrian government and, quote, unleash the very chemical weapons we seek to control. David Martin at the Pentagon for us tonight. All right, David, Chris, so what was your favorite option out of those ones? Because those all sounded awful. I'm going to take option F, <laughs> okay. which is do nothing. Yeah, I know. I mean, we don't have the money for this shit. I know, and, and, and we, we don't. And now as Russia and Iran continue to arm Assad and Hezbollah, uh, and we come in, um, we are. It is. We are fighting a true proxy war here. Do you it really is, think this is a billion dollars a month? I bet I mean, it's more than that. Because that's probably not even including contractor costs. Talk about the industrial military complex here, making money off of uh, human suffering. We for, do not have the money for this. We don't. No. Well, I'm not even. I, literally, as crazy paranoid as this sounds, we could be talking about the very foundation. For freaking World War Three, because we're going up against Iran, Russia, and China when we go into Syria, where that's by, by by proxy, that's who we're fighting here. And I just think we all need to be very clear and very upfront, no matter how you feel about Syria, no matter what you feel about going in there and helping the refugees or whatever. Wherever you stand on this issue, you have to at least be honest with that fundamental fact that by engaging in Syria, we are actually engaging with those other countries, and that scares the living poop out of me. That is some big stuff. Um, and, you know, of course, McCain's pushing pretty hard. McCain's out there saying, uh, currently, our Syria policy is an absolute disgrace. Deputy Director of the Defense Intelligence Agency said at a <coughs> forum uh, yesterday that al-Qaeda-affiliated groups are gaining strength in Syria. They've grown in size, capability, and effectiveness. Does that change your argument, which has been very fierce, mm. for more U.S. help to these rebels? So this is something you and I have talked about a lot, because we know that al-Qaeda is active in Syria. And if we're going to be arming the rebels, which so far we've kind of been trickling arms to them, we are arming al-Qaeda. And that seems on its face like a bad idea. So what Candy's asking McCain here is, are you, are you still of the opinion that we should be arming the rebels now that we know they consist of al-Qaeda? Right? That's what she's asking. Right, a yeah. great question. Yeah. Since, by the way, now the most effective rebels appear to be al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is coming back uh, throughout uh, the Middle East region and North Africa. Look at what's happening in Iraq and unraveling there. You can only judge this on the basis of the facts. And the fact is there's no United States leadership in the Middle East. There's a vacuum there. And when there's a vacuum, bad people fill it. And that's what's happening all over uh, the Middle East. 
Now, is Syria specific? Of course. Uh, jihadists are flowing in from all. What's ironic about his statement is what McCain has said is very true. When we take out the dictators in those countries, it results in absolute chaos, which then results in even more turmoil, which then results in a bigger mess that we have to deal with. Now, the United States has a policy of keeping everybody over there real busy. That way we get access to their natural resources. But this is one of the blowback things of it. McCain is actually acknowledging this in that statement. He's saying when we remove these dictators... There's a vacuum of power and bad people move in. But we are the one taking and creating mm-hmm. that vacuum yep. to begin with. And then mm-hmm. his argument is, well, now that that vacuum exists, the U.S. better step in, better step up. All over the, the Middle East. And by the way, from reason Europe, for us to stay out? Well, well, if you think that uh, doing nothing, that the situation will improve, uh, <clears throat> and no one that I know that knows the uh, Syria believes that, that uh, and I would argue that our failure our failure to assist these people who are struggling uh, for the things we stand for and believe in uh, has exacerbated this problem uh, dramatically. Look, uh, this brings us a little bit to Russia, but it's an unfair fight, Candy. It's an unfair fight. Lots we have of the Russian fights sort of oh, take yeah, place look, across the, look, co- the nation. Russians, the Russians world. are all in. Hezbollah with four, sure. four or five thousand troops. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard. It is now erupting into a regional conflict. It was not that at the beginning. In the 1930s, we had a thing called the Spanish Civil War that it, when it came to a, become a proxy fight, this is now becoming a proxy fight between different interests in the Middle East and outside of the Middle East, including significant involvement by, uh, by the Russians while we sit by and watch these people being massacred. Now, I don't necessarily disagree here. If we would have stepped in sooner, things would be different at this point. I don't agree with his extrapolation right. that if we had stepped in, because McCain's plan was months ago to do airstrikes, but the report we just heard, airstrikes would be pretty much pointless. Useless. And, yeah, yeah, useless. So you can't, you know, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with what McCain's saying, but on the other hand, McCain, your plans would have just been basically what the Bush administration would have done, and we would have already be marred in a conflict that would have already escalated beyond just maintaining the control over the air. Uh, a year and a half ago, I asked when we were going to intervene when 7,000 have died. Now 100,000 have died. A year from now, there'll be another 100,000 who have died. And we sit by and watch this happen and don't think that lesson is lost on all the other countries in the region. And it's a disgrace. I, I, I want to ask you, move you on yeah. to, to Russia, yeah. but I also want to ask you if you have any reason to believe that the administration is coming around to your very forceful opinions on this. Well, uh, we had a meeting with the president, uh, Senator Graham and I, this week, and we, he gave us an opportunity to, to engage in a discussion on the issue, and I hope that uh, uh, the, at least the options are being uh, explored. But believe me, Candy, this, the, the Middle East is erupting into conflict, which will sooner or later, sooner rather than later, affect American national security interests. It is a huge problem. And you see on Iraq, Iraq unraveling, Afghanistan, we have huge problems there. All across, the, all across, and not to mention Egypt, the heart and soul of the Arab world is now in a situation which could lead to chaos for a long period of time. That's a great chance for McKinney to get a Benghazi reference in, but he forgot. Uh, <laughs> now, of course, we've heard, we've talked a lot about yep. Al-Qaeda working in Syria, but guess who's joining Al-Qaeda at the request of Al-Qaeda? The Taliban. Oh, and Taliban fighters from oh. Pakistan say they have united with Al-Qaeda forces in Syria to fight the regime of President Bashar al-Assad. CNN, though, is unable to independently verify members of the Pakistan Taliban 
are in fact inside Syria. CNN journalists have been to Syria. They've seen foreign fighters, but again, cannot confirm exactly where they come from and who they represent. Uh, Simon Mawson in Islamabad, though, has more details. A close aide to the Pakistan Taliban chief and top Taliban commander, Abdul Rashid Abbasi, has told CNN that 120 of their fighters are already inside Syria. He says that they received a request from al-Qaeda operations in Syria to join forces under the command of Abu Umar Baghdadi, where they'll be fighting alongside Syrian rebels against Bashar al-Assad's forces. Now, this is the first time the Pakistan Taliban has openly admitted to fighting any kind of international jihad, if you like it, outside this region. And they tell us that another 150 fighters are due to arrive in Syria this week alone, and they'll continue to recruit along the Pakistan-Afghanistan border. Uh, not just Pakistanis, but people who are fighting here from right around the world, they say, will be travelling to Syria to fight what they are calling a jihad against the Syrian tyrant regime. Simon Mawson, CNN, Islamabad, Pakistan. So I want to send those guys guns real bad, Chase. I want to give those guys <laughs> missiles, and I want to just give them some communications equipment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt anything. Real bad. It doesn't hurt. Uh, before we wrap, yeah. uh, last week we focused a lot on how uh, distractions uh, will sort of consume the mainstream media and, and, and move the dialogue Babies. away from the important issues. Like babies. Uh, so uh, this week, I loved it. I loved it. So Obama, a couple of days ago, started like, trickling out that he's got a pretty good speech coming up. And now, if you're not familiar with Obama's campaign, a pretty good speech is slang for what Obama calls his the, the best speeches in his presidency, or actually ever since he's written speeches, whenever he's got a good one, he says, it's a pretty good speech. So when he started telling people that he had a pretty good speech coming up, it started to get a lot of buzz. I know, it sounds ridiculous, right? Hey, hey, uh, uh, the, I, got, I got something coming, come on. The White House set up a custom uh, splash page for it. They started uh, sending out notices. Yeah, the president's. Uh, uh, and the president was even quoted as saying, I'm, I'm excited about the speech. Actually, uh, it started off kind of surprisingly. Hello, everybody. He says, I'm excited about the speech, not because I think the speech is going to change any minds, but because it's going to change the national conversation. He's being just up front now, just trying to get people to stop talking about uh. the IRS scandal and the NSA. Uh, so he had, uh, the, uh, before the speech, everybody was talking about it. And I thought Chuck Todd on good old MSNBC actually nailed it when he said it was a deja pivot. This speech, this pivot, pivot to the economy. Again, it's like deja pivot uh, I have when it comes to comes to the economy, but it seems that they really are signaling they are going to have a campaign approach to this fight with Congress when it comes to the debt ceiling, when it comes to sequestration 2.0, all of the decisions that are coming to a head in the fall. They're basically saying, hey, we're going to travel the country. Well, they learned that lesson in 2011 at, during the debt ceiling debacle, which was playing out at this point two years ago. When, when that collapsed and, and turned into such a mess, they pivoted away, as we all know, and went into campaign mode in the fall. And as you remember, he put the the Jobs Act forward right after Labor Day in 2011, uh, mostly as a campaign effort. And I think what we're going to see is, is very similar. But I think that the real question is, what does he really have to say at this point? I mean, is he is he simply trying to do it for politics? Uh, perhaps. But that begs the question of what do you do about a sticky unemployment rate, right. middle class families that are struggling? I mean, there's a lot that he has to deal with. You know what they're acknowledging, Margie, is they have nothing new to say. Because what are they saying? Hey, look back at this speech. He has said it all before, so he doesn't have anything new to say. He's just going to say it differently. Well, yeah. I think that is true. It's very and, true. And he did in the speech. I didn't even bother clipping anything from it. Uh, 
However, I did manage to clip this. So every now and then I tune into Morning Joe uh, because I have it in the feeds and I and and I'd heard Carney was going to be on there, the White House spokeshole. He got up early. His hair was still wet from the shower. And uh, Scarborough is Joe Scarborough's tossing a few softballs. Morning Joe. But then things take kind of a bad turn. But he's focused on the economy, Joe. He's not focused on, you know, pretend scandals. Right. Of course. Now, this is the new line. President Obama is focused on the economy, not these pretend scandals. And that's what Carney was out there to get across. That was the messaging that was Carney's mission. Pretend scandals like what? Are you talking about like NSA, yeah. Chris? and the IRS. The oh. IRS is the big one at the moment, too, for uh, uh, Scarborough. Right. Uh, the, the Republicans so, 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 on Capitol so Hill I want to get to the economy, make, want, Jay, want but to I, turn into I, I, partisan right. uh, skirmishes. Yeah. Jay, I, I want to get to the economy because obviously that's the most important thing. We have to clean up this one thing, though. I mean, it, you say that the, there's cherry-picked information on the site. Let's just take the IRS scandal. Uh, the fact is it's far different than what you said. At the beginning, you said it was just the Cincinnati office. And then we find out more people in Washington are involved. And then this past week, we found out, despite what any of us think of the investigations on Capitol Hill, and I see you smiling, I get don't a little know mad that there's anything to smiling. smile about that. It wasn't a couple of crazy people in Cincinnati that this information actually went up to the chief counsel of the IRS, which was one of two political appointees by the president of the United States and the entire IRS. So, it Joe, sound I greatly appreciate me, Jay. Joe, I greatly appreciate that that is the line that is being pushed by Republicans who want Washington to be focused on scandals instead of the economy. Wait, 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 no, oh, no, no, God, no, no, stop no, off no, your no, stupid wait, talking point. Is that the truth I hate or not, this Jay? crap. Is that the truth or not? You said, Jay, crap. that this was limited to Cincinnati. That wasn't true. No. I want to talk about what the I, economy, but talk give me a to chance, me. Joe. Don't give me talking points because that doesn't work Joe. on this show. And you've Joe. been here long enough to know it doesn't work on this show. Okay. So answer my question and then let's talk about the economy. When you get to the question, I'll answer it. Here it is. What we I said gave all you the question, is, and you decided is, to fight me, Jay. So stop Joe. your games with me. We've known each other for too long. I'm not playing your games. I'm not somebody Joe. you talk to, talk down to from your podium. Answer Joe. my question, Jay. Joe, please let me answer it. There is no question that activity that occurred at the White House, at the IRS uh, was inappropriate, and the president made sure, made clear that he wanted to take care of it, and he appointed somebody who's doing that. What we have, and what we said all along was based on the. IG's report, which said that the activity was in Cincinnati, and, and the IG report and every bit of evidence that has come out since then makes clear that no one at the White House was at a, involved at all or even knew about what was happening. And that has not changed, Joe. And the Republicans immediately said that it was about something much bigger than it turned out to be because they wanted it to be a scandal. But, but Joe, look, I, I accept that you know, we need to get to the bottom of what happened at the IRS, and we need to make sure that our government is performing in a way that Americans can be proud of. But we also need to focus on the economy. And what's frustrating, I think, for so many Americans is that we're not here in Washington focused on the things that matter most. Yeah, because you're only lying so to much. us, and you're cheating us, and you're not telling right. us the truth. And yeah, uh, I mean, and it's you, because you're marred in scandal because you have been in scandals. <laughs> I mean, like, how you know, can you not talk you about it? Happen? Yeah. I mean, don't you're you're just trying to distract us and go, hey, look over here, look right. over here, talk right. over here, right? Yep, yep, yeah. That now, so now it's the economy because uh, because the polls are showing uh, that uh, the public opinion is not so hot. Uh, Obama's approval rating has fallen to forty five percent in a Wall Street Journal NBC poll, the lowest since uh, late two thousand and eleven. Yeah. Overall disapproval of Congress is now at eighty three percent. Did you know, Chris? That that's the highest. Did you, did, ever. You, did you know that more people prefer to have a root canal 
than they approve of Congress. Did Just you know that? Only 29% of Americans say the country's on the right track, yep. which is a 19-month low. Yep. Uh, and Obama's uh, 45% approval rating matches that of George W. Bush at this stage in his second term. How about that? So, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's why they want to talk about the economy. We got a couple of emails I felt like we should maybe uh, try to get through. Now, we're running a little long, Chase, but... That's all right. You pick through it and see what you want to read, and uh, you, I'll, I'll let uh, you well, be Well, we, we got this email, choice. and, and, and I, I think some of it might be uh, towards you, so this will be a good opportunity for you, Chris, to uh, clarify your positions. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, the importance of this case, and this is referring to the Zimmerman trial that we talked about last week. Dear Chris and Chase, clearly you do not understand the importance of the case. You are correct that innocent black children are murdered by racists quite often, but that does not diminish the importance of this case. This case was symbolic. It showed that the U.S. that us that a uh, showed the U.S. that a white man, though I believe he's Hispanic, uh, Latino of sorts, can follow and pick a fight with an unarmed black kid, and as soon as he fights back, execute him. The real injustice was when the police did not book him interview him or anything of the sort they let him mill around the station for a while while they got the paperwork sorted and then let him go home for a month or so i also feel greatly disrespected when you refer to marriage equality what you call gay marriage as a distraction equality in marriage is a basic human right without federally recognized marriage a partner cannot call uh, collect social security the widow widower social security minor that their see spouse they cannot visit their loved one in the hospital. They risk losing their children in the event of death. Property transferred at death is taxable, meaning a spouse is responsible for paying taxes on their spouse's home, often leaving them and their children terribly impoverished. I implore you to please listen to the first 11 minutes of last week's Savage Love Cast, and you will understand how important a right to marriage is to have. Thank you for doing such great shows, Nick. So Nick has emailed in before about marriage equality, um, and I see this is part of the problem is – I, I I even said this last week. They're valid issues. They're not. They're not. They're not distractions. They're not. It's not that they're. It's not that they're unimportant, right? Yeah. It's it's that it's that we devote too much attention to them instead of a, a proportional amount of the discussion. That's all. Yeah. Um. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Next one. Two cents about the Zimmerman distraction. This came in from Christopher. Hello, and, uh, hello, everybody. Hello, Chris and Chase and all the unfiltered listeners. Not to beat a dead horse, which I'm about to, but I have to give my two cents about the Zimmerman distraction. I do agree with the fact that the media uses things like this to further exaggerate our differences, but there's something deeper, deeper that I don't think everyone can see. I have to use this as a teaching tool for my sons. As sad as this may sound, it is my truth. I have to show them, on one hand, that they can be anything they set their minds to, but on the other hand, I have to make sure that they survive long enough to realize their full potential. Now, weigh that against the fact that no matter how well off my family is, my ability to send them to the best private schools and the fact that my oldest is a straight student and other two are in kindergarten and two years old. I have to uh, preface to all that with the fact that they will be profiled. I will have to teach them to react, how to accept ignorance due to the no fault of their own, and to make sure that they uh, make it home every day. This is a lesson that unfortunately has to be taught to all young black men in part of this free country we called America. Mm. So if you or anybody can explain to me how to tell my sons, no matter how well they do in life, they will be clumped into a negative stereotype that could possibly cost them their lives. If one situation is mishandled, I will listen intently. It is very hard to preserve the innocence that all children deserve to have for at least some small time. This is mine and many other people's reality. 
I enjoy all the Jupiter Broadcasting shows. I've been an unfiltered listener since episode one and have enjoyed every show, whether I agree with your position or not. Keep up the good work perspective. P.S. Thought you might like this. I have three sons. My name is Christopher. My son's names are Kayami, Dylan, and Chase. <laughs> Look at that. Very cool. <laughs> Jupiter Broadcasting for life. You know, Thanks, sir. I, I agree. I mean, it, it's really sad. I mean, that we are still living in an age where... It's you, like that Carlin clip where they, they make us... Yeah. They make us they point out all the things that make us different that make us fight well, amongst I mean, it, about them. Martin Luther King Jr. said it great. I mean, we should not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of character, of, of their character. And, you know, it's, it's so true. And it's so... Well, and what's, it's what's so crap. What strikes me is usually when you get to a certain tier in society, and it's one that we don't really have any perspective on, and we as the common people don't really have any idea what it's anything like, but when you are super rich, like, I mean, I'm talking so rich that, like, you've got a jet on standby, and if you want to go fight in New York tonight for for dessert, you can. That kind of rich. They don't they don't live by the same social rules that we do. They don't have the same problems no, that we do. It's you're right. It's only, it's only uh, like at a certain level where all of a sudden all this stuff matters. All of these little differences all of a sudden are really super important, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a damn shame. Maybe we'll figure it out someday. Yeah, this next one came in from Hoping, Hopping Mad Hopping Patty mm-hmm. uh, regards to Turkey. Uh, Chris, Chase, I've written to you before in regards to Turkey on filter number 57. You don't seem to grasp that it is the army that is the only chance Turkey has to keep it somewhat democratic. Take the army away, and this country is a full-blown theocracy within a month. This has been going on since the days of a Turk, father of modern Turkey. In the past, as now, the army has stepped in every time the politicians go the way of introducing Islamic law into the real life. So strangely enough, with regards to democracy, this is actually a good thing. Hope this clears it up somewhat, Patty. I think we were talking about how we, we were referring to it as possibly a coup. Um, that was me. Oh. Um, and, you know, by definition it is. No, that was Egypt, not Turkey. Oh, that was Egypt. I'm not, see, oh. I'm, see, I'm not sure why you wrote in the right – see, I don't remember what we were talking right, about Turkey. Chris, Chris. Stop the presses. We're actually getting a call. Oh, wow. The only call of the episode, perhaps. I'm, right, not, let's I'm do not sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's take it. Hi, you're on the air. Uh, this is Nexus in the chat room. Hey. Hey, um, I was just wanting to give my two cents on the whole Zoom and stuff and uh, respond to that email that y'all got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my whole idea on this whole topic is this. Everybody wants to say that we're past racism but we're really not. And the whole, everybody trying to uh, make Zimmerman out to be, you know, such a bad guy and how this is supposed to be, you know, basically like a test case for, you know, the way that we're, you know, you know, how society really truly is. Well, in my opinion, when, you know, I heard the uh, 911 call, when Zimmerman was saying, you know, they always get away. To me, he wasn't talking about, you know, the black kid. He was talking about, you know, they always get away as in, you know, these, you know, riffraffs that don't live in this neighborhood, don't belong here, and the police don't ever do anything about it. And if people want to say, oh, he meant, you know, a young black kid, well, that's because statistically, you know, a, a African American male between the age of sixteen and twenty-five statistically is going to be somebody that um, you know causes problems, going to you know be stealing things and 
things of that nature. And how do we change that? With society. Society says that, you know, uh, you know, the you know black males really don't amount to anything, so they don't. Hmm. And uh, well, except for we have a black president right now, so isn't isn't that starting to change? Do you think, or not so much? Do you think there's a disconnect still between the elite and there, there's the, still a disconnect because people don't say that you know he's not. I mean, I, I've heard that people say that you know he's not a real black guy. He's you know he's um, half black, so they 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 belittle it. Uh, so, I, I suppose. Mean, hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they say that. Well, if if we elect, uh, you know, Condoleezza Rice or um, uh, what's his name? Uh, well, let me ask uh, you. Okay, let me ask you this. So, uh, the uh, number one TV. Do you know what the number one uh, news station in the United States of America, the number one rated news station, is right now? Uh, probably either um, MSNBC or uh, Fox News. One of those two. Chase, you have a in guess. My- no. Univision, the one that uh, caters to uh, Spanish-speaking audience members. Yeah. And the Univision is now the largest news network in the United States by, by ratings. They now have bigger ratings than Fox News and CNN or MSNBC. And I, th- I wonder if that doesn't speak to a change in demographic of the United States. And I wonder if, as that changing demographic approaches, if some of these racism uh, conversations will begin to change because – the fundamental majority is beginning to change, or will, or will one day change. Well, the what thing is, though, I don't think it's going to be at least you know fifty years before the quote unquote majority changes. Because yeah. why yeah. we have we have you know lifetime congressmen, uh, right? Yeah, it's people in power. Yeah, I've I've always I mean, said there should be term limits. Yeah, I mean there there. There's term limits on the president. There, there should be term limits on Congress. There, it's ridiculous that they get to live there for life. It just doesn't doesn't equate. Yeah, man. Any other thoughts? But who votes on those laws? They do, and they're not going to vote themselves out of that. Right. You know, exactly. A, 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 a job. That's the thing. All right, dude. Well, thank you for calling in. Thanks for the call. Appreciate no it. All right, man. We'll have a good evening. Well, there you go. I that mean, was fine. I like taking calls. We yeah. got one call, which is actually kind of what well, I. Now, I, if we stayed on the air. We get more calls, but my wife is literally going into labor, right, so we well, can't really stay on. Well, let's uh, let's break down the last email. Okay, one more. Let's do it. Let's do it. This was from uh, uh, Oded with some PGP uh, tips. We talked about oh, encryption. Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hi, Chase and Chris. First, let me congratulate you guys on coverage of the NSA debacle. Excellent work. Thanks, sir. Especially considering the non-coverage by other media. Wah, Second wah. thing. Chris have mentioned several times the deficiency of PGP as a secure communication method. While there is a problem of metadata collection which is endemic to any communication that uses SMTP for transactions, yeah. and BitMessage does alleviate that problem. I like that. The concern regarding the key exchange is unwarranted. This is what key servers are here for. In order to send someone a PGB-encrypted email, no need to ask them for the key. Just go to a key server and load the key from there. Popular key management software, such as Seahorse and KP, a KGPG, usually offer key server queries in the app, but you can also use your own web browser to look up PGP keys in the popular key servers such as keyserver.ubuntu.com or pgp.mit.edu. If you want, email me uh, and I'll load my public key from the key server where you can also see who trusts me and sign my key and bam, 
you are ready to go. Kind of, sort of. Unless people are morons like me where you have three or four keys because you've been using PGP since PGP was brand new and you were a kid and, you know. Oh, you're you're. Worse. So I've got like a ton of keys up there. So if you searched for me, you could encrypt one of them, but you'd probably encrypt the wrong one and I wouldn't be able to read it because I don't have those anymore. Those are on old computers I don't even own anymore. I know. So it kind of works and it kind of doesn't work for that. That's why it's still in actual practice. You know, when people are trying to contact me and it's the first time, they usually end up first saying, hey, uh, is this you? And then I have to say, yeah, that is that is me. Now, is Chris. Me. Yes, sir. We made a prediction in the Big Red Book. Yes, sir. Last week. Yes, Re- we do you remember what that prediction was for was, our unfiltered it was, it subreddit? Was unatta- it was unobtainable. It was un- <laughs> unobtainable. Yeah. Do you remember that? It unobtainium? Was, un- unobtainium, yeah. Unobtainium. Yeah. All right, I'm looking up. It was uh, 575 was the goal. 575. Yep. And you said it was unobtainable. Um, I couldn't, can't be done, Chase. Can't be done. Impossible. Well, Chris, if you head over to unfilter.reddit.com, you'll notice that we hit 595. <laughs> well, we got to do 600, then it's the goal, right? No. What? No. Just what? Maybe no. 599? No. What? No. 615 is the goal for next Dude, week. Dude, you're crazy. I know I'm crazy. That can't happen. That's so unobtainable. Head over to unfilter.reddit.com, the official subreddit for the Unfilter Show, where you can upvote, downvote, comment. And all that fun jazz. Absolutely. And don't forget, Unfilter is live on Wednesdays over jblive.tv at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Now, Chris. Yes, sir. When you're uh, tweeting your thoughts. Twitter.com slash Chris LAS, Mr. Chase. Don't even bother. Just go over there and you'll be inspired 140 characters at a time. But what about you? Now, people can follow me on Twitter if they want. Sure. At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. All right, do That's that great. Right. Okay, I'll do that. But... Right now, uh, we're trying to get the Minecraft Me Show over to Minecon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're That's right. It. We're doing an Indiegogo project right now. We're 44 days ago. We're not quite trending in a good direction. Dude, if uh, if if, uh, if Ubuntu can do it for their Edge phone, maybe you can do it for Mine- Minecon. ggtv.me slash Minecon Boom. if you want more information. But check it out, guys. Yes. All right. And and uh, people can also check out my uh, network of geeky gaming and technology. Would that be at the geekgamer.tv? How would you know? I don't know. It just came How'd to me. How'd you guess that? came to me. We just posted some pinball, some Minecraft stuff. There's always cool things going on. Very good, Mr. Chase. Don't forget, we want your emails, unfilteredjupiterbroadcasting.com. If you're an unfiltered supporter, go check out your supporter show because you got a big one. Don't forget, we will see you right back here next next week. week.